0: Hey guys, so just a heads up that this was actually recorded from late January, so some things have changed since then, obviously, but I still think there are a lot of valuable takeaways, so I'll put this out there, hope you enjoy. Yo, what's up, Dr. Swole here, MD, bodybuilder, back with another episode on Swole Radio. So today I'm joined by Patrick McKinnis, aka Patty Lifts, who is a personal trainer, online fitness coach, and uh, he's a WNBF pro natural men's physique athlete, and he actually won a pro show at the Washington State uh, Pro-Am in 2018. He's a very accomplished physique athlete, science-based coach, and also powerlifter. So, uh, Patty, if you could just tell us a bit about yourself, if I missed anything, and tell us about your powerlifting records. Awesome, man. Yeah, you pretty much broke it all down. Yeah. Um... Um, I guess starting off on my fitness coach, WMBF Pro, I'm actually a certified um, WMBF bodybuilding judge. Um, So I'm experienced um, with uh, many of the shows in Canada, a few in the States. And then to expand on my powerlifting, I actually powerlifted before I got into physique sports. So in 2015, I did my first meet and I broke the uh, bench only record um, in the junior class, 93 kilogramme. And then in 2016, um, I broke uh, the squat and total record in the 93 class in the open men's. Um, and those are both are all provincial records. That's crazy, man. What were the numbers? Um, The squat was 522. I think deadlift was 545. And then the bench was 352, I think. That's crazy, man. Wow. Thanks, man. And uh, from what I understand, you're also an authority on uh, streetwear. From I can tell from your IG. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like I, I, I'm into fashion. Like I like clothes. i um, I'm. I feel like when you present yourself and you feel good, you perform better. Just I don't know. I'm just into that type of stuff too. Yeah, yeah. Awesome. Okay, so today we're gonna chat a little bit about Patty's recent bulk as well as his upcoming prep, and we'll. Delve a little bit more into just powerlifting and bodybuilding in general. So, getting right into it, um, could you tell us about your recent bulk, sort of when it started, when it ended, and starting end weights? Awesome. So, I started my bulk right after my last show in 2018, which was in July, the Muscle Mayhem. I competed in the bodybuilding class there. Um, and then I believe I was around 170 pounds. Um, I've been bulking ever since, and, uh, it's starting in 2020 in January and, um, the top, the peak of my bulk, I reached around 215 pounds. Mm -hmm. Uh, So that was, oh, sorry. And then how tall are you for the audience? Um, I'm 5'11". Okay. Mm Mm-hmm. Cool. And then, uh, could you tell us a bit about sort of how your diet was set up in terms of your macros and distribution meal timing? Yeah, for sure. Um, So to break things down, um, right after the show, I wanted to get back to a healthy body fat percentage, so closer to 10% as quickly as possible. Um, And then from there, my rate of gain, I went um, in between 1.5 to 2% body weight per month. And then after a few months, I slowed that rate down to 1% a month. Um, my macros were as low as, um, I, I forget exactly, but I was eating around like 800, 900 calories um, going into the show and I jumped them up really high all the way up to, I believe, close to 6,000 calories. Generally, I like to go a little bit higher on the protein side just to be safe. Um, so my my protein was anywhere between um, 250 to 300 and, uh, um, fat and, um, carbs are, are pretty flexible for me. So I would go anywhere from 100 to 150 grams of fat and the rest goes to carbs. Okay. So, yeah. So could you tell us a bit about how you chose your rate of, of gain? Yeah, for sure. So, um, looking at, um, I wanted to optimize to ensure that I could get the most amount of muscle mass throughout that entire time. If you go, if you're too lean and you gain too slowly, you're not going to be able to add, um, muscle mass on. And then the flip side of things that if you go too fast, um, you're going to be gaining a lot of fat mass. So then you're going to shorten your bulking phase. You're going to have to start cutting down a lot earlier and you're going to take away, um, time away from actually bulking another downside of starting your diet earlier is that you cannot build muscle during that time and you're in potential muscle loss um, when you're in a deficit um, so personally I like to stay decently lean and uh, try and find that sweet spot in between so I use I use different markers when I check in with myself um, every week so I go for the rate of gain um, I look at my weight trending throughout the week and I look at other measurements um, Uh, measuring my body fat to see if it's quality mass being added or if it's more fat mass. So at the start, I was very lean. I went a little bit faster and then I slowed down to 1% a month where I feel like that's a lot better rate where you're going to have the best, um, even of staying lean and enough weight to gain, to ensure you're optimizing muscle gain. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I remember this was a big issue that I would, uh, that I probably got wrong as an early bodybuilder, in that uh, initially people either either you try and gain tain and you're not really making any progress, and if you if you say oh I'm gonna gain one pound over months, it it's it presents even just logistical issues in terms of measuring that visibly on a scale, um, and, and then in terms of going the other way, I feel like I went the other way where you go through this dreamer bulk. <laughs> and, uh, and and the thing is, when you're in early, like early on, I feel like a lot of beginners make this mistake where they think they're putting on a whole bunch of lean tissue because they're like, oh, my arms are getting huge, like I'm filling out all these shirts, and uh, it must all be muscle. But when in reality, you're just putting a ton of fat on like all of your body, and that's how fat distributes. Yeah, man, I can definitely relate. I was in the same spot myself where... Like, I was super skinny starting out, and I always wanted to get big more for for confidence, like um, just self development, and just one of the goals of mine. And uh, I wanted to get huge, and then I did pretty much a dreamer bulk for like six years. <laughs> and then when I started started prep, I realized, damn, that a lot of that was yeah. uh, fat. <laughs> <laughs> dreamer life, man. <laughs> right. Yeah. Okay. And then. Oh, yeah. To get this out of the way, uh, see you've been living in Thailand for a while now. Hey, could you tell us about that? Yeah, so I was living in Kelowna, and then at this, I guess, around halfway through 2018, I or 2019, sorry, I moved to Halifax, Nova Scotia, um, where my family is from. I'm oh. um, just sad get. A little bit closer with them since it's been a while. And then I ended up going to Chiang Mai, Thailand um, for two months, um, living the digital nomad lifestyle. And then uh, we went to the Philippines, um, Manila for a month. And then now I'm back in Bangkok, so I'm going to be here for another month. Actually, or actually I'll leave in a week. <laughs> Tom's flying. Yeah, yeah, wow. That's cool. Um, and yeah, you've been living the life. <laughs> yeah trying to man like eat like trying to experience a different culture get a different perspective on life um i have an asian background but i grew up in north america and i wanted to learn more about um, my roots i'm I'm filipino but i want to learn more about um, the asian culture as well so eating different foods and man holding back has been tough because the food in asia is amazing oh yeah yeah true okay so Bringing things back, uh, I wanted to ask you a little bit about your training. So how is how's your uh, program set up when you're bulking? Yeah, for sure. So when I don't really think of things as a specific training split, I like to distribute um, volume um, throughout the week. So if I'm prioritizing a certain body part, I want to make sure that I'm having the, having the highest amount of set volume um, for that body part. So for the most part during my off season, I'm more focused on chest and that would go from a range of 20 to 30 sets per meso cycle. And then body parts that I wasn't trying to um, prioritize as much, uh, was even as low as six to nine sets. Um, I was my legs because they're, um, covered up for the most part. Um, as for, um, frequency, I like to do at least two tons per week frequency for things that I am trying to prioritize. And um, um, to break things down a little bit more detail, um, I like to progress looking at the set, rep, and RPE goal um, from there. Um, I like to try and progressive overload by adding weight to the bar and using the minimum increment possible. If that's not possible, since I am a little bit more advanced, things are going to slow down. I will try and add one to two reps, um, or if that's not possible, add time under tension, just using a little bit more control. Um, The later stages of my bulk, I actually changed my progression scheme where I did implement that um, as well, but I... I uh, cycled the amount of set volume I did per week, and I found that um, I was able to hit more PRs a little bit faster that way because since I was pushing um, pretty hard, um, just trying to add um, weight to the bar every week, I found myself slowing down very quickly. So dropping the volume back a little bit throughout the meso cycle and then working my way up, um, I was able to, I guess, net... Um, perform better, um, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. So at the end of the MESO cycle, I saw a lot faster progress. Um, and then with regards to RPE, I, I don't really like to reach failure too often. So I usually stay within um, one to two reps before failure. And then on my last set, if I'm feeling good, um, I will hit failure or on isolation movements. So for an example, I feel like doing a one rep max on deadlift. Wouldn't be the smartest thing to do trying to hit failure because the fatigue is going to be so high. Where maybe using a machine, uh, bicep curl, um, set of fifteen reaching failure wouldn't be um as fatiguing. So I want to try and push the stimulus as high as I can while keeping uh the fatigue low. Great, yeah, okay, that's that's a lot to unpack. So in terms of just for the audience, in terms of from what I gather, the cycling and volume the idea is that your body becomes resistant to a certain amount of volume over time just through adaptation and you want to continue to present an overloading stimulus so you increase the amount of volume in number of sets per week as a, as uh a, my would tell, likes to do and uh the idea is that you're trying to track along your maximally effective volume throughout and eventually you can't recover from that and then you have to deload um, I've actually been finding some success with this as well. Out of curiosity, um, what sort of volume ranges will you cycle between? Um, depending on the meso cycle. So it's going to be a little bit different where maybe if I do want to prioritize chess for an example, I'll cycle from 24 to 30 sets throughout the entire meso cycle. Mm-hmm. Okay. Per um, week. Then, is then, pushing my limit. like to do that too often yeah 30 sets is brutal (laughs) um in terms of and you said you do specialization cycles which muscle groups are you specializing right now um so i like to specialize uh, my weak points as much as i can and prioritize volume in those areas so right now i'm more working um my chest um my shoulders um i found that my back was pretty strong but um, I really want to focus on those areas so I can look different on stage and help uh, improve the proportion of my physique.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. And then uh, what have sort of been the challenges that you've been experiencing over this bulk? Um, well, at the end of 2018, I got Raudo, and that was that was a huge hit on me mentally, of course, physically. I was out of the gym for six weeks, I believe. And uh, I feel the effects still in my legs. So what happened was I I cramped up. I was at a restaurant, actually. My whole body cramped up, Um, I passed out, and I started sweating, I I got dizzy. And um, the biggest thing that still haunts me is uh, recovery and um, cramping, muscle cramps. So some some things I had to do was actually tone back in the gym, um, pushing the RPE, um, not hitting failure as much, and then uh, more prioritizing deloads and rest days. Um, At the time, which was weird because um, one thing to know that you're overtraining is you're not progressing. I was actually progressing very fast at the time, and I thought the fatigue was due to my sleep apnea. Um, I, I thought my machine might have been broken. I actually booked uh, an appointment to get it checked out to see where I was, but I, I wasn't too worried about gym progress because I was progressive overloading every week and hitting um all-time PRs. Um, but you have to be careful with that and, and make sure um, you're may, maybe having that outside eye um, looking in. Um, I, I could have saw the warning signs. Wow, yeah, that's amazing. Like Honestly, I remember seeing that on on your youtube channel and i was just shocked because I, I was a med student at the time and it takes a lot to get wrapped over it. yeah man The i remember the doctors talking to me and they're asking me a, a lot of questions about training and and me i'm, I'm thinking i'm like it's not that hard like <laughs> yeah. um, but it was it was accumulation because i prepped for 11 months um yeah. i i did a show pretty early on i did a longer prep and then I guest posed, which I count pretty much as a show because I got pretty lean for that. And then I did the bodybuilding show and uh, I wasn't prioritizing sleep. I was working too much, had had late nights and um, I feel like an accumulation over the long period of time um, caught up to me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Wow. So from the sounds of it, you really ran into some serious, like actual overtraining, you know, like people... A lot of people talk about overtraining when it's probably just a little bit of overreaching. But uh, if you're still having lasting effects in uh, your legs and that, that's that's pretty bad. <laughs> yeah, man, I guess you just want to learn from what happened and just continue to improve. Um, I'm doing my best with what I can with my legs, and I'm pretty happy with where they are. Um, but it also allowed me to better prioritize my upper body. Um, that's something that I didn't do my last off season. I, I am trying to do well in men's physique, but I would have a lot of high leg volume, so something that I could tone back. And then in turn, I also was able to prioritize my sleep, rest days, and deloads, which I feel like helped my progress as well this uh, off season. Mm-hmm. What kind of training volumes were you hitting for your legs prior to this? Um, I would. I would total squat and deadlift maybe two to four times per week. Um, But I would push it pretty hard, close to RP10 a lot. And then I would maybe do eight leg exercises per workout. Um, Wow. Yeah, so it it was pretty hard. Uh, It's very confusing to me because I don't understand how it's continuing to progress. And it still frustrates me a lot. So mentally, it has been a toll. Even today, I trained legs, and mentally it was tough squatting because I didn't want to push too hard, and but I also wanted to do enough to be able to progress and and make sure I was getting the most out of my time. So it's also a mental battle. Um, to be honest, that I I still have that fear in me a little bit. Mhm. Yeah. Wow. That must be um stress inducing, I guess, just knowing that your body's been through that. Mm-hmm. Um. And then, oh yeah. So, what's your accumulation cycle look like, and how often do you deload and take rest days and that kind of thing? Um, so, depending on the meso cycle, um, I usually rest one to two days per week. Um, I enjoy training, so if I do do a six week, uh, six day per week program, um, I will drop the volume back. So. It's more about trying to get that volume in throughout the week. That's what I like to prioritize. Um, so, five to six days per week. And then, as for um, accumulating volume, um, let's say one MESO cycle will be um, 22 to 24 sets. And then the next MESO cycle might be 23 to 25 sets. So, I'm slowly um, increasing it. And then, once I feel that I'm not able to progress um, for two weeks in a row, then that's a good cue for me to uh, deload. I also look at my biofeedback, um, how I'm feeling, am I lethargic? Do I have the sniffles? That's like a a big one for me. Um, And then just pretty much performance in the gym. That's the biggest one. Um, Because mentally, I feel like I'm stronger than what I can do physically because I'm willing to put in the work. I just have to listen to um, how my body's reacting and use those, um, I guess, landmarks. To decide when to deload so it's more auto regulated versus um doing them like for an example after every meso cycle mm-hmm. okay yeah that's a very intelligent way of doing it i think for myself i totally sympathize with the the mental aspect side of things because i'll definitely i hate taking deloads and it's always hard right, to yeah. take your foot off the pedal and for me for me like I definitely feel it when I'm accumulating fatigue and there'll be times when at the end of a muscle cycle, I'll be, you know, like my mood will be depressed. I'll have aches and pains everywhere, like have trouble sleeping. So I know, I know things accumulate, but it's still hard to pull it off. And I know that, uh, for me, I definitely need to have scheduled deloads because otherwise I will run myself into the ground. Like my last, just last couple weeks ago, I had a just a weird hiccup in my scheduling as i was like, I was hoping I could just take half a deload and then take another one like soon after and like the week after that just half deload, I like had a flare of my tendonitis, and so I know I'm like oh. riding the edge of where where I need to be recovering from so anyways, I uh, wanted to move on a little bit towards your new upcoming prep um so yeah so what's the plan for that and just overview the, what shows you're planning to compete in for sure so this time around um i'm gonna be switching up how i prepped um compared to last time so right now i'm gonna do the diet before the diet so i'm gonna start off with a 12-week cut and then i'm gonna go back into uh, a small gaining phase for eight weeks and then i'm gonna finish off perhaps 16 weeks um, into the show. So right now, the number one plan for sure is WMBF Worlds. And then there's a few shows in the fall that I'm keeping an eye on. Um, these are all in a WMBF. And then depending on how I'm feeling, um, how things are going in life, I might do another show in the OCB um, and travel down to the States um, just to try another federation out and uh, try and get another pro card. Mm -hmm. awesome and uh what's your current uh weight and like plan for stage weight coming up um so right now actually when i i just started prep a couple weeks ago and i got food poisoning here so i ended up losing six pounds right off the bat and then in total i'm down eight pounds um from my starting weight so I'm, i'm uh 207 and then i plan getting i'm planning on getting down in between 177 to 180 and i feel like that would be a good range of my stage weight um for men's physique yeah and what which sort of intermediate weight are you trying to target for this initial cut um like to to start off yeah, like um the first the first, the first 12 weeks um one second i have it all planned out here right now um, so the first 12 weeks, I'm looking to get down to 195.5. So the first, uh, um, phase is going to be a little bit more aggressive, um, where I'm aiming closer to 1% um, body weight per, per week. Um, actually a little bit less closer to uh, 1.5 pounds. And then after my gaining, or once I get into my gaining phase, I'm looking to gain one pound per week and then slow it down to a half a pound per week. Um. Once I get into the final stages of the actual prep, I'm looking to start off a little bit more aggressive for a month, gonna do two pounds um slowly move it down to one point five to one point two five and then um slowly feed into the show, so I'm looking to do a test peak week, recover, and then uh complete my actual peak week mm-hmm. um yeah, that's interesting how you have set up a little gaining phase in between. I know that uh, the guys that Revive Stronger and uh, like RP, they like to sort of do that initial cut and then go into a maintenance phase and then go into the final prep cut. So what's your reasoning for doing a gaining phase rather than just a maintenance phase? Um, I feel that during that time, I, I feel like you can take advantage of that time and be able to make some gains make some progress. Um, When you're at a higher body fat percentage, you can't really see the proportions of your physique or your true proportions, because as you get leaner, your proportions are going to change. So after the that cut, I feel like it's gonna just give you that little bit of a difference. Of course, you're limited to what you can can gain in two months, um, but um, other benefits will be um, taking a break from dieting, because after 12 weeks, um, I feel, there can be diet fatigue just mentally in, in a lifestyle sense. And then uh, it does wear you down. Of course, when you're prepping um, you're going to accumulate fatigue that way where you can replenish yourself um, most likely perform a D load during that time. Um, and yeah, I, I feel like that's uh that's why I'm going to be performing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I think that's good reasoning. And I think for myself, I've, I think for my prep, I ended up doing a maintenance phase before, but I personally feel that either would work well and just inserting a, like a short, very like conservative bulk would probably work wonders for healing diet fatigue and recoverability and all that. Mm-hmm. What are your macros going into prep? And so, to, yeah, so starting off, um, <laughs> I have to push my diet super high. I was eating close to 6,000 calories. Um, So so starting off my diet, I went down to 4,000 calories and 300 grams of protein. And that's how I usually like to start. I don't like to go straight into macros right away. Um, And then I'm uh, slowly dropping from there. So right now I'm at 3,800 calories and 280 grams of protein approximately. And that number is flexible. Um, so I could eat a little bit more, a little bit less, as long as I get over 250, I'm pretty happy. hmm And from what I understand, your macros went pretty low on your last prep. hmm Yeah. So usually at a certain point, um, like 178 pounds, um, this happened, um, both prepping seasons, I was stalling a lot. And what I found helped was dropping a bomb on myself. So when I drop that bomb, um, I I get to break past that plateau because I could drop my calories in the past for four weeks straight at that time and my body won't budge. The the body weight won't change. So um, what we did in the past is we we, uh, hit a bomb. Um, I would break past that plateau and then I'd actually raise it back up. And uh, then my body would be able to uh, lose weight on the higher um, calories overall. And then, uh, man, my legs, I don't know, they, they weren't coming in, we we're moving slow. And sometimes you just have to dig in and dig deep to reach that elite level conditioning. Um, and with that said, I, I, I did dig that deep, but I still feel like there was more to come off and I could definitely push it a little bit harder. Um, if I ever did compete in bodybuilding again, Mhm. what do you mean by dropping the bomb in terms of like nothing bolts? <laughs> Yeah, so dropping the bomb would be something extreme. So maybe a four-day bomb where I'd do um, something extreme like 200 grams of protein and 30 grams of fat and 30 carbs. Okay. It would be relative to where I was at. Um, That was just an example. Um, But it would want to be significantly lower than where you would be at. Patty the bomb diet. <laughs> that's, that's awesome. Um, okay. And then what are you doing in terms of refeeds and slash diet breaks? Refeed. So, refeeds, um, I auto regulate those as well. Um, I like to more use them for um, mental, like making sure you're killing your cravings if there's something going on. But since my calories are so high, I'm feeling totally fine. I'm I'm having no effects of the diet, I guess, no negative effects like hunger, lethargy, or anything like that, or no cravings. Um, but as I go through, I might throw in a refeed. Uh, I'm still mixed feelings on them. I feel like it's going to depend on the person. I feel like some people will do better without them, and and they might binge once they get that extra food in. Or where having those extra calories throughout the week might actually help you perform better. So I feel like it's very different from person to person and even different in, in, uh, everyone's situation. So maybe this prep, I might not use them at all. Where in uh, previous preps, I use them all the way through. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. There's definitely a lot of uh, inter individual variability in terms of those and for how people respond to them. Um, and then are you anticipating any changes in your training going to prep as, as prep progresses? Yeah, so I, I starting prep out, I still like to train and, and try and progressive overload, increase my volume over time. And then once I start seeing the fatigue accumulate and I start seeing my progress slowing, I'm actually going to drop my volume back and I'm slowly going to um, go down. In previous preps, I felt like I kept it too high too long. And um, I feel like you start to string out you start to flatten out and um, and I also um, had an ego where I wanted to stay stronger yeah. and I feel like by training closer into the hypertrophy rep ranges, training for more of a hypertrophy stimulus you're gonna get more out of it than training for strength and trying to keep your strength high um, throughout the uh, the prep and then also because of a lot of strength training with the high loads is going to um, bring a lot of fatigue, especially in the big movements. Mm-hmm. How much did you drop your volume over the last prep and when did you do it? Um, over the last prep, uh, so it was 11 months. I went really, really slow last prep. I would say it's it's maybe drops is from three to six sets per day. Um, max from the start, so it's not too much, um, but it's going to be up and down. So if I feel like my recovery is good, I'm going to try and push that limit. I want to get as much out of the workouts as I can without going overboard. So I like to really push that limit and and uh, use a lot of auto regulation. So because I'm a little bit more advanced, I, I was able to <laughs> learn a lot, especially through the Rhabdo and everything. Um, I know a lot more about my limits, and I take that deload a little bit sooner. So one of the things I like to use is if I feel like I might need to deload, then I should probably deload. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. Um, And then, yeah, what would you say were the main lessons you took from the last prep besides the recovery aspect? Um, Last prep, I feel like I dieted too long, Um, 11 months, um, and how aggressive I was. And was, it was too much where I felt like my last show, I looked the worst. I, I felt like I could have been a lot fuller if I took that approach. And then training volume, I should have dropped back a little bit sooner. I should have listened to my body a little bit more and uh, toned back. I was too stubborn. Mm-hmm. Yeah, your your workouts were pretty wild from what I remember. You like I, I think I remember watching you do like a 10 by 10 squat. or yeah that. i would be doing like let's say four sets of 10 at 405 or like i'd be like i would be like five to ten pounds or five to ten pounds off my stage weight still repping 405 on squat where it might have not been the safest thing to do <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> um and then and what have you noticed did you notice anything in terms of how you felt over the like in terms of saying that the prep was too long or it was, was it just sort of seeing your body string out? Yeah, I felt like I flattened out a lot um, as I was going through like mix of the overreaching without the recovery and then continuing to diet. I felt like I lost a lot of muscle that way. I wasn't prioritizing a hypertrophy stimulus where there was a lot of strength um, prioritized. And then uh, 11 months, without breaks where I felt like if I took diet breaks or if I even uh, performed a maintenance or gain phase, I feel like would have been a lot more beneficial. Um, Mentally, it was really tough on me as well. And I do feel like maybe from hormonal changes that high stress could have negatively impacted me as well. Mm -hmm. And then uh, just a fun question. What are your favorite? sort of prep meals like high volume foods or low calorie snacks uh some of my favorites are okay this is might sound really weird but i like to take plain greek yogurt and you know the the meal drinks where where you can squirt into your water for flavoring yeah Um, i like to take the pink or purple kool-aid one and chop strawberries up into it so it's zero fat Uh, greek yogurt has the flavoring in it and then strawberries so it's it's Uh, High protein, pretty high volume because of the strawberries. Um, That's one of my favorite. I love protein pancakes and protein waffles. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Literally just a scoop of protein and egg whites (laughs) and Walden Farms. So it doesn't sound too appetizing (laughs) now, but um, it it was so good at the time, man. (laughs) Yeah. They just started stocking Walden Farms at my uh, local superstore, so I'm pretty stoked about that. (laughs) <laughs> and I remember that stuff was scarce. I'd be going around at every supplement store, being looking for it, and they'd all be running out. So, so shifting gears a little bit, I want to talk just a little bit about powerlifting and bodybuilding in general. So, sort of, what are your takes on balancing the two? So, I I feel like it is possible to be successful in both, um, because I actually was prepping when I did break those provincial records, but you have to be, um, you have to take an approach that's balanced towards your body. So for an example, when I did my prep, I, and I will, I usually do a power building approach, but I prioritize strengths too much. Um, and then as I, Um, perform a powerlifting meet I feel like I didn't get the most out of it because I I had an arm day um, because I was trying to prioritize arms so I feel like it's possible you can be successful at both if you want to be the best and optimize your training I say you need to really focus on one but if depending on the approach you take you can be successful in both Um, because I feel like the heavy training and this is like anecdotally is that you look at the best natural bodybuilders, they're all strong. You see them, um, they all train with hot volume. Um, So I do feel like it could benefit you in that way and um, help you increase um, your volume over time where maybe sets of six will help you get stronger. So then when you're performing sets of 10, um, later on, you'll be able to push a little bit more volume um, when you're looking at volume mathematically. So Mm -hmm. I feel like there's there's pros and cons and and uh I I think you could phase it out and implement it to your advantage. Um, but I feel like it's gonna affect a little or everyone a little bit differently. hmm Yeah, I agree. I think balancing the two is a very very tricky task and probably takes a lot of inv- individualization. Say for as a very gross generalization, if you were programming for say just uh avatar, intermediate athlete who sort of wants to build strength and size, what would a basic template program look like for power building? So power building uh, strength wise, I like to take an approach where there's a a very high frequency um, with the training. Um, So I like to work with lower uh, one rep max percentages, and I also like to implement um, speed days. So for an example, a template for power building, I would start to work out off, um, let's just say for bench, maybe a, a three by five or four by five on one day. I'd have a, a supplemental movement to help bench press, but also work on the weak points. Um, so let's say um, someone needs to work their upper chest. Well, then I would use an incline bench or their shoulders. I would use an overhead press. And then um, two days later, I would perform a higher day where they uh, perform um, maybe a three by 10 um, with shorter rest. And then another day, um, maybe a couple of days later, where they perform bench again, and it would be 50 to 60% of their one rep max um, performing speed. So trying to uh, explosively move the weight. So generally I like to use the first main movement as a strength progression. Um, for the most part, and then move down to the next exercises that are supplemental to um, help improve strength in those specific movements and your physique, and then near the end of the workout, more work, um, the bodybuilding aspect, so get volume in where you need, so um, like your side lateral raises for your shoulders, that that volume wouldn't be hit in your main compounds as much, so that's how I would generally break things down. Mm-hmm. And then, um, in terms of, uh, progression, how would you go about that? Um, progression wise, um, I like to, to try and, and use the same one where you would, um, hit a rep and set an RPE goal and then try and increase weight over time. So I would make the first day, the heavy day, the priority where you're going to try and up the load on, on that day the most. And then uh, the second day where you're uh, doing the high reps, I don't expect the load to move up as much. Um, so generally with load, um, but if you can't do that, then add a, a rep or two before you do add the load. And then like I said earlier, if you cannot do that, then uh, try and increase the time under retention. So if you know for sure the week before you hit three sets of five um, and you don't think you can add weight to the bar, or add another rep, well, then maybe try and slow down the last rep and add a little bit more tension um, during that time. So mm-hmm. I would That's say it. that would be a good approach. Okay, cool. Yeah. Uh, to zoom out a little bit, then, how would you describe the the goal for periodization? So for listeners, basically the more long-term uh, planning of programming. So if, is this, what is sounds uh, like here? From what it sounds like, you're following a sort of linear progression or or maybe a double progression in terms of how you sort of add sets or add weight or reps as you can. But how does it look in terms of larger time frames? So let's say if we're, I'm assuming we're bulking, trying mm-hmm. to, to improve. Okay, so during that time, um, I would actually try and add set volume, but that's going to be very, very slowly. So maybe within a meso cycle, it would be two weeks before I added a single set. So with strength training, I feel like there's going to be a lot more fatigue because you're going to be working um, more frequently with movements, and uh, you're going to be working with heavier loads. Um, That's why I do like to, for the most part, work with um, loads between um, uh, 60 and up to 85%, more in the lower ranges, and use a higher frequency, and then work your way back down, so a more linear approach where um, you go back down to your rep range again but start at a little bit higher percentage and then work your way back up. Um, So it is a mixed progression where um, you will be adding sets but eventually um, your starting main movements, you're gonna possibly increase the sets but then drop back the reps so then the intensity is gonna be a little bit higher. Um, I would say it's a little bit hard to, to say um, what would happen for each person because um, practicing this method, people are gonna get stronger in so many different ranges where you wanna see where they're adapting the fastest and then evaluate their progress from that specific meso cycle and then adjust from there. Um, uh, so I don't always want to add volume if I don't have to where the ball vo- or add set volume. If the load volume is going up but I'm happy with that as well. Mm-hmm. yeah, no, that's really intelligent. I think it's never easy to just throw out a template program because it really depends on what lets a person progress the fastest for themselves. Um, what are your thoughts on having specific strength and hypertrophy blocks themselves? um in a for in a bodybuilding sense, just I guess in terms of like a power building sense. Someone, um, I, someone, I do yeah. I do think they are smart because you're going to um, be able to desensitize. So when you are in a higher rep range, working, for an example, a bodybuilding specific phase, and then you're working um, periodizing into a strength phase, um, I feel after around four to six weeks, your body is going to get used to that specific stimulus. So when you do organize the change and it will be beneficial. Um, I would recommend working towards what you're leaning or working towards your main goal when you are organizing, um, the periodization, but I do feel like they, they need to happen. So for an example, I did try to prioritize my chest and increase my bench during that time, but I also performed phases where, um, the volume would be more equal, um, throat or more balanced. So then when I went back into training, um, I could start off with a lower volume and be able to progress on load a lot faster without needing to add more step volume. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah, makes sense. Uh, and then in terms of circling back to the fatigue issue, you were talking about how the your sort of main lifts were producing a lot of fatigue during prep. Um, what are your thoughts on just... The, just keeping those powerlifting movements in at all, and in, in terms of that sort of high volume, high intensity type of training. In terms of prep? Um, in, in terms of prep, I feel like if a certain individual could um, gain more volume um, without them, then I feel like it's going to be more beneficial because um, I, I feel volume is the number one factor towards muscle hypertrophy. And that's something that you want to prioritize. Um, I feel like you can keep them in, but eh, I don't like to go super heavy on deadlifts and squats and push it really hard when your body is not in the, the best state for performance. So when you're really lean, um, even mentally, I find they can be tough for some people. Um, because when you are prepping, you have diet brain. Sometimes you're not as focused, and, and uh, mentally they can be fatiguing as well. But to optimize things, I feel like it can be smart to drop back those big movements and perform other movements like leg press, for an example, instead of squat, where you're not going to get that super high fatigue, but you can still get the stimulus and potentially be able to push more volume. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's definitely something I've been thinking about. The uh, term that's been batted around in the uh, science crowd right now is the stimulus to fatigue ratio and Mm -hmm. uh, for listeners basically you can rate exercise in terms of this sort of optimization ratio by looking at the the level of fatigue it generates versus the amount of stimulus so generally heavy compound movements like a squat would produce a lot of stimulus but also a lot of fatigue and this is something you need to balance out when especially when you're in prep and And uh, fatigue is a a very important factor. Um, Definitely for myself, I just I finally found this year that I've had to drop my um, deadlift, and it's hard, man. It's it's like your baby. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Mentally, it can be tough. Um, um, Just because it's something that you really enjoy to do, you've been progressing well and working at that. Your baby. The whole off season, but I also feel like depending on your rep ranges and depending on your RPE, um, you might be able to um, better regulate that as well um, when you're looking at exercise selection. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Yeah. So, and then I think we're wrapping up soon, uh, Patty. It's been great to talk to you. Um, What sort of other projects do you have going on right now in terms of life Life, man. So I'm moving back to uh, Canada in a week, and then I have a new place. I'm getting a brand new house full of furniture, a new car. Starting pretty much life all over again. Yeah. And uh, just trying to to settle back in while I'm prepping, and uh, pretty much just the same thing that I've been doing. I'm coaching uh, full time, and uh, just making content, just doing what I enjoy to do, and just continue and, and one thing that I'm also working on is a better work-life balance so I'm going to try and tone back work a little bit and try and enjoy life a little bit more or maybe last part I was a little too hardcore um, where um, that could have uh, contributed to my stress as well mm-hmm. what's uh what's your coaching demographic like like what's your client base um I would say uh 60 70% competitors And then the rest are pretty serious lifestyle, um, who I would even categorize some of them like at the level of competitors Um, and then mostly male and uh, international from Canada. Mm -hmm. Yeah, nice. The digital nomad life is uh, treating you well. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, man, I'm super thankful for it. So um, hopefully I can keep it going, I guess. Yeah, fun question. What's what would you say is the biggest lesson you've learned since you started coaching? Um, the biggest lesson I've learned was I used to try and look into the science too much and uh, try and figure out what's optimal. But when when you when you do have that down, all science based coaches are going to be exactly the same for the most part. It's going to be pretty 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 uh, similar. So what I found is that when you can relate to a person and really connect to that person and uh, impact them, um, I feel like prep or the results are gonna be a lot better because you need to optimize their specific situation in life um, because bodybuilding isn't everything. There's gonna be other things going on. And uh, when you can work around that with the best balance, then I find you have the best results overall. Nice, yeah, no, that's a really good way of thinking about it. And I was just having a conversation with a friend last night, we were talking about um, some new diet apps and fitness apps that are coming out, and I I actually think they're a great idea, but on the other hand, you're never going to replace that human aspect, you know, and bodybuilding is so multifactorial and there's never going to be an app that really takes into account, you know, your breakup with your girlfriend or all these other life situations that happen, factor in. Yeah, man, I, I definitely agree with that. It's just that personal connection could, could kick you in the butt for the motivation and and uh connect with you emotionally as well, not just looking at data. Mm-hmm. Alrighty, so yeah, wrapping up. Where can people find you? Um, Instagram at patty lifts, YouTube, Patty Lifts, and uh yeah, that's pretty much it. I don't really use Facebook, so I don't recommend following there. <laughs> just don't try guys just yeah <laughs> stop sending those message requests <laughs> Alrighty, yeah so this has been a great conversation and i highly recommend uh, patty as a coach he's a great guy and i had the pleasure of meeting him in vancouver a couple years ago and really glad to bring you on awesome man i really appreciate it thank you That's all for now, guys. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure you subscribe, give me a 5-star rating, and leave me a review. My primary platform is YouTube, so if you'd like to see video content by me, you can find my YouTube channel if you search Ask Dr. Swole. See you next time.